Welcome to another episode of Peers Over Beers, your favorite digital and social evangelist podcast with your industry veteran hosts, Chris Tetzel. This podcast starts now. All right. All right. Welcome to another Peers Over Beers. My name is Chris Detzel, and I have three special guests today. Go, Elizabeth. I'm Elizabeth Kinsey. Cool. I'm Nicole Saunders. I'm Allison Boudreaux. Oh, this is awesome. So today's topic, and I'm really excited about this topic, is women in leadership or women leadership uh, in tech. Women leaders in tech. I'll probably cut that piece out. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> I've got a lot of questions here that I want to ask um, these three ladies, and, uh, and I'm going to start with Elizabeth. Are you ready for the first question? I am ready, Chris. All right. So introduce yourself by telling us uh, why you decided on a career in tech and how you found your way into your role, and then tell us a little bit about your aspirations. All right. So my name is Elizabeth Kinsey. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I am the director of community at Slack. And I decided on a career in tech because it had the best health insurance. (laughs) I'm like legit (laughs) not lying about this because I looked at all of the things that I could do with my limited limited world when I was trying to figure out what I want to do. I was like, you know what I don't want to do? I don't want to worry about my health care. Um, and so that it it and it kind of found me. So the real story is that I was working in retail and I needed health insurance and I was applying for literally any job. And um I ended up being an office coordinator in a in a tech company. And um from there just ended up taking every opportunity that I could to continue to move ahead and went to go work for a startup. um, And that was a real, that was probably like the first time that I was in making software instead of just selling software. And that was incredibly fascinating to me. And the healthcare was still top notch. And so I just kept, you know, going with that. Um, I think in terms of like how I found my way to my role at Slack, it was really just watching product being built and being introduced to so many developers and learning so much about that world and finding it incredibly fascinating how people built relationships and careers and their identities around some of these things that they were doing for work and seeing the positive impact that that had. And so when Slack was looking for a developer marketing community person, I was like, sign me up. And uh, I'd say in terms of aspirations, you know, I just want to live a good life and make a good impact on people and not do harm. And, you know, I'm very touchy feeling that way, but I also want to make space for it to be very usual to have a bunch of women at the table and no one to be like, oh my God, there's one woman here or two women here. Like nobody says that about men. Um, And so just creating a space where it's not just my turn at the table, it's all of us that need to be there. You know, that's one of my biggest aspirations and what I want to do. Plus, I want to make everybody use and love Slack. So that's it. That was a lot. That's great. great. That was really great. Nicole? Yeah, I'm uh, Nicole Saunders. I'm Director of Community at Zendesk. Um, How did I decide on a career in tech? I don't think I set out for it originally. I was one of those people like I didn't think I was very good at math. I liked science, but like 
I really wanted to be a writer. And so the very short abridged version of my career is I started as a freelance writer when all the magazines moved online. I had to start learning how to use social media to promote myself. That got me into doing all sorts of cool things with social media and starting to build online communities in social spaces. Um, and that was about when I started thinking of myself as a community manager. Um, and I did freelance and did contract work for a long time. And I kept getting clients that were tech startups. And I really liked the innovation. I really liked the creativity. Um, I loved being at the beginning stages of a business. And so I worked in tech startups for about 10 years doing various kinds of marketing and community management. Um, and then eventually got myself out to Silicon Valley and then was there for a few years. And then I met my now husband and I was moving back to Wisconsin to find out if he was going to become my husband or not. Um, and I was like, there's no tech companies in Wisconsin. Guess I better go get an MBA. And it turned out that Zendesk has a major office here in Madison, sort of at random. And they wow. happened to be hiring a community manager the month I was moving back home. So I applied, I got the job and I've been leading a community at Zendesk ever since and just really building my, my empire of community management in that space. Um, so it was one of those things that was really serendipitous, uh, but it's worked out really well. And I love being in the tech space. I think it's so cool to be around so many creative people and it's such an exciting field. Um, as far as my aspirations, you know, first and foremost, it's continuing to mature the community management industry and continuing to build leadership. I've been what is often referred to as the tip of the spear at Zendesk as far as community. When I started, it was just me and another person and we were support agents in the community and I've expanded my team and grown up to the director level, and I hope eventually we'll, we'll hit a VP level at some point. Um, so that's the first part. And then like Elizabeth, it's really helping get more women into leadership. I've learned a lot on my journey. I like sharing that. I like mentoring it. And I want to see us create more spaces uh, for women at these more senior levels. That's great. Amazing. Allison. So um, I'm Allison Boudreaux, and I am Director of Digital Programs, Education, and Community at a company called Calix. Um, we are one of the largest telco uh, software providers that nobody's heard of, is what my CEO likes to say. Um, and I also fell into tech on accident. I was working for a healthware software, healthcare software company, and the entire marketing department was let go, and I was 38 weeks pregnant. So I went into full-on panic of like, apply, apply, apply. And this company named Calix called me back uh, for an events management role. And I said, yes, yes, yes. And I've been here now for 12 years and worked my way through different marketing communications roles, leading demand generation teams. And we started customer success. And the leader said, would you come over here and try to like make sense of our community and education teams? And so I took a jump and said, yeah. So it's, I've been very lucky. Chris and I have talked about it. I've had multiple careers inside the same company. Um, and I love the community space and I love customer enablement. And so I'm really excited to be able to build my team. I, my aspirations are helping people through their careers understand that it's not a lateral journey. Um, I have not had a lateral journey. Many people on my team have not. And I'm like, just try it. Just jump. Just have faith. And I've been lucky enough to have mentors who have helped me guide my way through my career that way. So I want to be that kind of mentor to the people on my team as well. Um, and like the other ladies on this call, 
helping representation at the executive level and at the VP level as well um, is key to me and what I fight for every day. I'm on the Women at Calix committee, helping to talk about hard conversations that people mm -hmm. kind of shy away from sometimes in the business world. Um, and so I'm hoping to have more of those conversations more openly, openly and make other people comfortable to do the same. I like that. Wow, this has been great so far. And I think I'm gonna get into some harder questions. So, um, which I'm very interested to hear. Uh, so when you think, uh, of like CEOs, and especially in the tech, I'm not saying you don't see any women CEOs, you know, but why is there not so many CEO leaders or, you know, kind of women in those CEO roles? And and and, and anybody can take that. The patriarchy. I'm not kidding, but <laughs> go, go no, ahead, I mean, it's, it's true. I think part of it is that there's still a little bit, it's still a little bit trickier for women who oftentimes still have to bear the brunt of raising kids and taking care of the household. And I see a lot of women who get into mid senior level positions and find that that's the limit of what they can do and still manage things at home. And, you know, so to Elizabeth's point, the patriarchy, <laughs> um, I, you know, there's, there's, I think there's a lot of societal pressures. It's not just the tech industry. I think that there's yeah. broader issues than that. Um, but, you know, certainly tech has its own challenges. I was, uh, it reminds me, of, and that point reminds me of this um, Harvard Business Review article that I was linked to the other day, and it's called Why Some Men Pretend to Work 80-Hour Work Weeks. And it talks about this division of um, the way that men and women in their careers are conditioned to sort of approach work. And so women, this researcher found the trend that women would actually ask for the time so that they could take care of children, personal needs, all of that impacted career growth. Men just took that time off without asking for it, and it didn't impact their career growth. And I think that there is something to be said about the way that we condition ourselves to approach work and approach gender roles within work um, that that impacts career growth for women. And I think that it goes back to some of those societal things. I think there's some other things that go along with that too. I mean, when you look at the tech startup world, a lot of that has to do with VC funding, where who is able to be in the room to ask for the money um, and how can they get those meetings and who are the champions that are going to bat for them. So when you think about the even that foundational level to get to all of these different companies that we work at, there are hundreds of companies that failed and probably a lot of them were potentially because they couldn't get funding and maybe some of that was because they were you know, a women-owned or women-led company. Um, and then I think also we don't, it's certainly a smaller percentage of women versus men in terms of when you look at, you know, these CEO lit, lists of CEOs. Um, but I do think that the the good thing is that it is expanding and there is more access now and there is more awareness, but I think that it's a very long road that we have to change the dynamics. Um, yeah. So those are my thoughts. Love it. Allison, any thoughts? 
I so many um, that I could go into. I think Elizabeth, you brought up some really great points. I, I do think it is how women are raised in business versus how men are raised in business. There's so many studies about how the pandemic affected women in business. They left the workplace to stay home and take care of children while men stayed. Typically, we took a huge hit, not only at like the executive level, we saw executives stepping down to stay home and and care for family members. Um, and we're, we're not back yet. And so I think, um, you know, a good start is having conversations like this, having allies in the executive suite understand, you know, how, and this will go into a few of our other questions, I'm sure on the list. Um, but, you know, we don't have the role models. I, and, and I think when women get to the CEO level, the pressure and scrutiny on them is double what it is on the typical mm -hmm. CEO. Um, I think about the Sheryl Sandbergs and, um, you know, just how everything that she did became a new story versus, you know, the typical CEO. So, um, yeah, I, I think we're getting there. I'm seeing more representation of women in general in tech. And yeah. now it's how do you help them make that leap? Yeah, I like that. Just, just get a, when I think of also just the technical jobs, I'm, uh, you see some women in those, but it's a lot less in the really technical kind of stuff. And we've got to really, I think, kind of start educating women at a very young age to, to push them to say, hey, you know, you're probably gonna have a lot of boys in your class, but you know, uh, just how do you do some of that? But I love that. Really good See, stuff. and I think we need to educate, um, not necessarily educate the girls that it's okay to be in that class, but to yeah. educate the boys that there's no so reason that they should only be boys in that class. Yeah. Because I think we put, a, I think that goes back to these, the way that we put like, we put these things on women so often from the time they are girls mm -hmm. so that by the time you become a woman CEO, you know that not only do you have to go out there with being smarter and better. And this is like, you know, let's say I, as a white woman, I'm saying this because it's even harder if you are not white, like from the things that I've heard my friends say, like, I have to make sure I'm smarter than everyone in the room, that I'm more polished, that I'm more practiced, but also that my shoes look good, that my outfit is on point, that I'm getting hit from the right angles. I don't, I know very few men, and I think we actually talked about this before, who have to think so much about not just the way they show up in business, but the way they appear. And women are like, our worth is so starts there. And so to me, it's like, we got to start when we talk about starting early, like let's start early teaching that like, that's not what matters. It, it What matters is that your brains like, it's fine to be pretty. And I love to like put makeup on and do my hair. But I think that like the framing of we should teach girls, it's okay to be in that class is needs to be kind of flipped a little bit. Well, and it puts, you know, we want to make sure we're not putting the burden on the group that's already at a disadvantage, already trying to come over, overcome various challenges. It shouldn't also then be an additional burden to say, oh, and you need to do the work of justifying that you're there and making it okay for yourself. It's, it's really just breaking down a lot of stereotypes and norms. And I mean, you know, these are things that we've all known and talked about for years. And I, I do think that it's getting better, but I, I think there are still a lot of challenges to it. 
I still see a lot of a lot of boys clubs. I still see a lot of women in leadership getting frustrated when they're not invited to the golf game or not included in a conversation. And I think that there are more places. Um, there's still more leveling of the playing field to do in a lot, a lot of ways. And it shouldn't, the, the work shouldn't just be on the group that's trying to overcome the disadvantage. It needs to be on all of us. Absolutely. So what's your reaction to like, you know, a man is hiring, you know, in the tech space and he says something like, I'm having a hard time hiring women who are qualified uh, for this, for this job in tech. Should I just lower the bar in order to make the target of hiring females? I'd say they're not looking hard enough and they need to look at their candidate pool. <laughs> like, there's a lot of qualified women out there now. Uh, I, I struggle to believe that there aren't women that can take a lot of these roles. Well, and I would also say um, the expectation that women place on themselves when applying for a role is that they're 100% qualified. And men typically go, I'm oh, 80% of the way there. I would put that on the hiring manager as well. If you're looking for talent and you want to grow your team, specifically adding diversity to your team, you're going to have to teach people. And so you better start looking at the skills that you can teach easily versus the ones that you can't. And so when I'm when I'm hiring people on my team, they may not have community experience, but man, they're tenacious about learning. They want to get in there. They they they're showing to me that they're willing to make up for that 20% that they may not be qualified for. I would put that on the hiring manager. If you're looking to grow and develop people, that's what you should be looking at. Not necessarily, you know, lowering your standards, but raising your expectations as a leader. Mm, that's good. I love that. Yeah. Elizabeth. Yeah. I know Elizabeth wants to no, say I'm, No, I'm just nodding <laughs> along because yes. And plus, heavy plus ones to Nicole and, and like all of it, all of it. <laughs> I have nothing to add. Nothing, nothing's going to make that better. So, no, it's really good. What would you tell women who are, you know, thinking about a career in tech that might hesitate due to, you know, the stereotype that it's a man's world? I would say there are so many community organizations out there for women in tech. Google women in tech and your city and go start talking to people because tech is such a broad term. And especially at this point, if you are any type of knowledge worker, you are probably in some way related to tech. Um, and there are, you know, it's not just being someone who is in one of the STEM fields and actually, you know, like coding things. Women in tech also means product designers and product managers and program organizers and our roles in community. There's so many different parts of tech that mm -hmm. you can find something that is interesting to you as a career and then go on the internet and search for a group that does that, because I guarantee you there is probably a community either online or in person that is meeting up to talk about the things that you're interested in getting into. And that is a great way to test and see, is that something that you really want to do? Or maybe you do want to go and be the artist or the writer or the, you know, you, you want to go raise llamas on a, on a farm because you're like, no, actually this isn't, this isn't the thing, but there, there are places where, your voice can can go and blossom and that you can help to cultivate um, what it is that you want to do in your career as a woman in tech. I would also say look for companies, one, where there are women in leadership. Even if there's not a ton, if there are a few, that's a good sign. 
Um, most companies, and I, I know mine does this, and Elizabeth, I'm sure your company does as well, have employee resource groups. We have one for women at Zendesk, and they host monthly discussions and meetups and educational opportunities and mentorship and sometimes we do fitness classes together and all sorts of different things that are a mix of leadership building, skill building, and social activities. Um, if you're wanting to get into tech and you're nervous about it, maybe look for a company that is actively trying to be more inclusive and is actively trying to empower women. If you're nervous about it, going to a small startup that's all dudes, probably not going to make you, <laughs> I mean, yeah. unless you are... want to be that champion, then don't. But I've been the first female hire at a company before. <laughs> and that's not where I would start my career in tech. It's <laughs> yeah. where I would go after I've built up my chops and I know how to, to hold my own in a group. Um, but there are, you know, a ton of resources, both in organizations and outside of organizations that are there to help. There's tons of mentoring out there. I highly recommend finding someone to, to be that mentor and be that sounding board for you. Plus one, plus one, plus one. Love it. <laughs> Bear with me while I kind of get this one out, but I think it's uh, it's an important kind of, eventually leads to a question. Um, so we've all kind of heard um, uh, the assumptions that define women differently than men. So sometimes it's bad, you know, like women don't negotiate well, women's lack, women lack confidence, you know, women are risk adverse, or women take themselves out of the game because they value family more than careers. You know, and other times they different, uh, th those folks differentiate, you know, women as, you know, rationale to hire, you know, more women. So that, you know, and, and also saying, you know, we're, we are more caring, cooperative, organized, and or, you know, pet peeve of my friends was, you know, we're better than, we're better note takers than men. Um, so saying that, um, do these things differentiate women in a productive way or are there things that need to be fixed or accommodated? I know it's a big one. Yeah, there's a lot in there, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said I bear mean, with me. <laughs> uh, you know, I think that there, there's always a grain of truth to certain stereotypes, but I think a lot of these are just blanket assumptions that like you just can't make about all women or all any group of people. Um, Am I wrong? Have do you, so do you I not say, hear that? No, I mean, I definitely hear that. And I will say, like, I know that when so I ran for a while um a group that was for women in digital um and mobile. Like that was when digital like meant the internet. Like if you had a job in the internet, you were in digital. Anyway. <laughs> um, and uh it was women in wireless. Anyway, so what we would survey our members like what do you want to hear about what are the things that you want to have us host workshops on and things like that and i will say that negotiations and how to be a better negotiator was a number one thing that that was requested and we did a number of workshops around it and i think the reason that it was requested is because what would happen and what i have seen happen in my career and i have seen happen to my friends is that a woman will think that 
she has negotiated a good contract and then she starts at a company and she finds out what the dude who doesn't have more experience than her, who hasn't been doing this job longer, um, what his contract was. And when you know that that difference, when you don't know that difference exists, you don't necessarily know that you could negotiate for more or that you are, that the value of your work should be the same Maybe you got a lower offer for whatever reason, who knows? But I think it's the, it's not necessarily that they are, that women are blanket bad negotiators or don't know how to go negotiate. I think for so long, there has been such opacity around pay in tech that women didn't know that they were being undervalued. And, and I think that's really where that has played out in my experience. I have a great story on that same line. And negotiation is uh, for the our women's resource group as well as one of the top conversations. And I think businesses kind of are like, why are you talking about that sometimes? Mm. Because it could cost them more money. Um, I was on a Girl Geek X is a great, for those of you trying to find different resources, they're a great women in tech group. Um, they do an annual conference and they had a conversation with a, a very well-known woman leader in tech. And she was a manager and she managed men and women. And every year at the annual review time, she would say, okay, here's your bonus. The women would say, thank you. And the men would say, I want more. And she asked another leader, like, are you experiencing the same thing? Are women just saying thank you? And I raised my hand at that part of her story because I was like, I've always just said thank you. I didn't even know there was an option to go back and say, no, wait a minute, I want more. And I think as women, that's part of how we're conditioned. And so we don't know what we don't know until stories like this come out, right? My coworker is making more than me. Why is that happening? Um, and so it's it goes back to that business savviness that women aren't necessarily taught that once we find out about it, it's like, and you start adding that in and then it becomes almost uncomfortable mm -hmm. when you go to your boss and go, that's not enough. It feels really bad to you, but then you get more money and you're like, Oh, that's <laughs> okay. You know, that feels really it, good. Though. It worked. It worked. And so I think um, it's not negative things that women necessarily are trying to do on purpose or that we're a bad negotiator. It's just that they don't teach that in business school often. And we're not taught those things in conversations. Um, and so the more we talk about it, I think the better we'll all be for it. And having allies who are mentors or executives who are like, hey, you need to kind of ask for more money yeah. or, you know, this is how you should negotiate. It doesn't even need to be money related, right? If you need to childcare, I need to leave at this time every day to go do something with my children, negotiate that into your contract, right? And don't be scared to ask for it. Um, it's, uh, I'm piggyback on the allies. And so I have a friend who like, I run, I just, I don't even tell them, am I interested? Am I not interested? What I have contract. I have something that I, I can bargain around. Um, I just want to know, what would you ask for? And sometimes just knowing that okay. you're not the only person that will be asking for more or, or doing that negotiate. There's like a lot of reassurance in that solidarity of, like I'm not 
a lunatic to ask for XYZ when I know that that's what I need. Um, I also think just to the point about like women lack confidence or risk averse, et cetera. Like, I think that the adjectives that we use to describe women in the workplace and men in the workplace for the same behavior are on hugely different spectrums. And so sometimes what might come across as being meek or polite is not necessarily meek or polite. You're just like, that's just something that we're not having confidence. Like if I am too assertive, I cannot tell you the number of times. I don't know if you all notice, but I talk and I have no, I'm, I just have opinions and they're going to come out. Um, but I also like care very deeply about my team and about work and all that. And so I cannot tell you the number of times that I have been told I have like a strong personality or I'm aggressive and I'm literally using the same language as my male peers in a measured calm voice, but I am the one who is overreacting or I'm the one who's, you know, maybe a little too passionate and it's like, they're the same words. So I think that there's also just the way that we categorize and describe um, different types of people in the workplace. And it's not just specific to women. I think that sometimes the language that we use is very influenced by our cultural norms. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I think it is so important to ask yourself, would you have the same reaction to somebody if they were a different gender, if they were a different race, if you didn't know their gender or race. Um, because it comes back to that conversation that has had so often about how women have to constantly thread that needle of like, you want to be confident, but you don't want to come off as like too aggressive or too mean. And you want to be warm, but you don't want to be a pushover, but you also don't want to give people the wrong idea. And it's sort of like, there's this very narrow space in which women are considered acceptable as leaders. And to some degree, I almost feel like, you know, that space is so narrow and the goalposts shift so frequently that there's like, there's not actually a space. We just pretend that there is sometimes. Um, and so, you know, it is, I do find that it's been true that like, being a woman in leadership in tech sometimes means having a thick skin and sometimes means not caring what other people think, you know? And I can't tell you the number of times I've uh, walked out of a meeting and been like, oh my God, I bet they all think I'm a, I'm such a hard ass or, you know, all of these things. And then I'm like, and it doesn't matter. I, you know, I said what needed to be said in the meeting, I got the work done and I wish we didn't need to think so much about what those perceptions were and how we're coming off. Um, and I think that at the end of the day, you know, Chris, you asked if what needs to be fixed or what needs to be accommodated. I think the thing that needs to be fixed is not judging people so much <laughs> and like letting, letting women behave the same way our male counterparts do and not have that be seen as a detractor for us when it's looked at as a positive for them. I think just I'm going to dig in a little bit more on that and just Go for it. like <laughs> question and this is Allison, Nicole, how many, or let me just say, have you ever looked at your email and thought I have too many exclamation points in that I am overly excited. Like I, I am probably coming off too excited. I was trying to be so friendly in this written communications that I now am punctuating every sentence. And have, has that ever happened to you? Cause I know it's happened to me. Oh, yes. I, or I'll put a smiley emoji and then go, mm, 
maybe not. It, um, I, so I think with it, a lot of snarky answers to that yeah. one, Elizabeth. There's a lot of great internet memes about you know how you should respond to emails and a different persona. Um, but I think the goal is to be able to allow everybody to be themselves. Yes. yes. I have a wonderful coworker. Um, I will not name her. She uses emojis for everything. She has a terribly busy job where she is managing people's schedules and the way that she can still keep a great attitude when I know that people are like, what are you doing? <laughs> I, it, it brings me joy. And I, she loves, she just uses emojis all the time and I love it. And I don't take her any less seriously as a business person. I know she is getting her work done, but I, I know like you too, sometimes I'm like, Oh, that's one too many exclamation points. We'll take that one out. Or, oh, that well, too what happy of a tone. It's like actually exactly where I was going with it because of what Nicole said about judging. It's like, who cares how many exclamation marks are in there? And it's not so much that like I want to alter my speech or the way that I communicate to be more like a man. It's more that there should just be room for this. That's like right. I, that's and right. I, and I think that that's the thing that we need to, we just need to make room for, for this, um, to that concept of space that you were talking about, Nicole. Like, I just, I think that sometimes that is the thing that really is going to help to affect it, like make the room for it, for that non-judging, for the, for all, for people to just show up mm-hmm. and be people at work and also to like be cognizant of your biases and the things that are can potentially happen, but don't, don't necessarily like let that stop you from being who you need to be. Yeah. Um, I think Gen Z is changing that in the workplace in a really hardcore way, especially when it comes to communications. Um, I have a very junior team and man alive. Can they cut right through some BS sometimes, but also (laughs) they bring me so much joy with their, you know, their sign outs and it's, it's fantastic. And they're not getting any less work done. And that's what I have to come back to when people start to criticize too many exclamation, are they getting their results? Are they doing the job? Are they having some fun here? Okay, great. I yeah. love that's the, the team I want to be on. Yeah. I love that you asked that Elizabeth, because I will fully admit, I edit every email I write, every Slack message, I cannot tell you how many times a day I'm going back and deleting and rewriting things. And it's usually to be more direct. It's usually because I put in language like, hey, I was just thinking that maybe, and I'm like, no, hi, I'm writing to ask you this. (laughs) And some of that is is good business language, right? Not undermining what you're trying to say and just being clear and direct. But I absolutely will sit there and be like, oh, is that too feminine? Is that too wishy-washy? Should I you know, be more abrupt about it. And it was funny, I actually got feedback from one of my employees. It was like, hey, when you, when you hit me up on Slack, can you like ask how my day's going first? <laughs> you're, like, you're, you're too direct. You just dive right into it. <laughs> one that I have another employee that is always like, I don't need the chit chat, just tell me what you need. So, yeah. you know, everybody's got their own style. And to your point, everyone should get to just use their own style. And as long as it's not infusing matters, it should be okay to infuse your personality into things and be who you are. I'm a big believer in having a personal operating manual so that folks know how to do interacting and how you interact, how you like to talk and whether you want the chit chat, blah, blah, blah. I think it, it is such a helpful tool 
for folks who are joining teams, but especially if we're kind of like setting team level agreements on how you're going to communicate with each other. So that's a whole other show. I, I was going to say, like, dive all that. into that one. We should yeah. stick with this topic for now. I like that <laughs> show. <laughs> Maybe I'll do something like that. Any other thoughts? This is this is really great. Um, so there was a question, but I feel like uh, it was answered, but it was, how does the assumptions play out in the world of tech? You know, so any examples? So I already heard examples. I heard some assumptions that do play out, things like that. So I'm going to skip that question because it was already answered. Um, but there, I only have one more question. And if I missed a question or two, we still have a little bit of time. Uh, what's one thing should a hiring manager in tech filled or, you know, do or change to recruit more women or keep uh, the women they have already? with some things that we should think about? I mean, I think connecting, you know, as far as retaining women, I think connecting them to mentors, connecting them to resources, connecting them to other women, both within your company and within their field is a really, really helpful thing. Giving people a sounding board, giving people um, someone who can help them navigate their career, especially for earlier stage people. I think that's a huge part of retention. Showing that you're you're there to support people and develop them in their growth is something that makes people feel appreciated and something that makes people feel like they're there for more than a paycheck. And so I think that that's really important, probably for all your employees, but particularly any that have, you know, unique challenges or disadvantages that you want to help support them through. Um, as far as recruiting and hiring, you know, gosh, I wish that hiring processes could be blind. I wish that I could get resumes that have anonymized names and things. And I couldn't tell anything about somebody except yeah. their qualifications when I'm at least in the early stages. Um, I know, like I had a debate with somebody last month about the, the idea of like having a headshot on a resume. I'm oh like, my God. Oh, I was no. thinking, <laughs> <laughs> oh. and I was like, I want yeah, to don't do that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, and it's so funny because like it does make it like more human. But like my first thought is like as soon as I see a picture, I'm like, oh no, quick, somebody like put post it over that. I don't want, I don't actually want to see that person because I there are implicit and uh, inherent biases that we all have, and you know we all work to overcome them. But yeah, man, I wish I wish hiring processes could be a lot more blind in that regard. I think it would help a lot. Yeah, and there there's definitely some tools out there that you can get to help with that. And the more mm -hmm. that I think that you can do that, that's good. I think especially early in the hiring process, I think one thing in terms of re recruiting women there, I have dropped out of interviews in roles that I was really fascinated by because I had been through three rounds of interviews and I have yet to talk to a woman like or see them on a panel or hear them mentioned in a conversation. So I think it's important when you are, when you put together an interview panel or a hiring panel as a hiring manager, make sure that you are representing your team. And if there is not someone on your team that that person can identify with, go to another team and find someone to be that person. Um, that's, it, I think it's really important when you are interviewing for a job to be able to picture yourself there. And if I are only talking to, you know, guys in slouchy hoodies who are like halfway on their phones during that's terrible interview experience. I'm sorry for anyone else who's ever been through that. Um, but like that, you're not going to see yourself there. So it's important. It's not just about recruiting. It's the whole interview and hiring process, making sure that you're 
being inclusive in in that way. Yeah, I totally agree, Elizabeth. I've I've dropped out of hiring things. You know, uh, it's been a while since I was job hunting, but I remember having some interviews where things were going well, and then I met maybe the hiring manager, and they just spent twenty five minutes mansplaining the role to me, <laughs> or just telling me what they were looking for instead of asking me questions, giving me the chance to. And it was like, yeah, no, that's not a culture that's going to work. Um, yeah, and I think like, that it I do something- know how to read, sir. I did read the <laughs> job description. Yeah. Exactly. An expert like, in this field. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I think it's it's so important to go through that hiring process and understand, you know, if, you, if you're looking to hire more women, you need to make sure that the hiring process makes them feel like this is a place that they're going to be able to grow and have those good opportunities. That's a good point. Ladies, you've made me really think. And, and you know, in, in two ways. One, I just hired somebody and she's a woman. It's not why I hired. I mean, but uh, but just kind of, I think uh, somebody said about mansplaining, I'd need to do less of that. <laughs> so, um, you know, my wife tells me that all the time. She goes, I don't need to be mansplained too. So I, I get that. Uh, and and I understand that. So this has been really good. And then the second piece is even as I kind of recruit for our, what I call our executive council was like an advocacy, um, you know, and I recruit our customers that um, are like either CIOs, CDOs, and things like that. I've got to be mindful that out of the 20 um, of those leaders, there's only two women on there, you know? And I'm not saying it's it, it should be just a focus of mine to go out and find those customers that are women, you know? Um, and so that's, it just reaffirms, or it just confirms that, hey, you know, I need to continue to, and maybe even, p- more forcefully ish, you know, and start looking for that, you know, and say, Hey, do you have any women that you know of that's a CTO, CDO, whatever, you know? No. Okay. Next, <laughs> you know, like just, um, just start talking to CSM, start talking. So it's not just um, hiring and recruiting, but to me, it's also thinking about, you know, how do I recruit, you know, those leaders that are going to help in, in my sense, Reltio, you know, in, 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 in that way, you know, when we look at, um, I remember our last CEO, he recruited to the board like two or three women. One was from Salesforce. One was from Amazon at, at that really high level. One was a CIO, the CIO at Salesforce. And then I forget uh, what uh, the other one was, but somebody at uh, AWS that's now on our board. And he he on purpose would um, go after women at that high level, you know, to so that there was that diversity. But I think that you have to make an effort to to do those things. So thank you. Did I miss anything from a question? Anything that you wanted to add or? Well, I was thinking maybe a fun way for us to wrap the conversation is to give some shout outs and talk a little bit about some of the women that we see helping to blaze the trail or lift other women up and and some of the people that have helped us along the way. Um, Because that's really at the end of the day, you know, we all started this conversation stating that we wanted to create a space that is more welcoming to other women. And, and we've also, we're all the beneficiaries of people who did that for us ourselves. Um, so I will kick it off. I have to say, um, we had a CFO at my company who was a woman. Uh, she's now over at Post. Her name is Elena Gomez. And she was a huge champion for me at Zendesk. Um, she led our women's employee research group for a long time. 
she was really good about taking time out of what was a very busy C staff schedule to come in and do fireside chats for women in the organization. And there was a point in time where there was an opportunity for me to start leveling up. Like I said, I've been like the tip of the sphere of the community organization and she really championed it. And I remember, um, she, she helped kind of push it ahead and, and push it out of cycle. You know, most companies have like a couple specific times a year they do promotions and I got a, a big out of cycle promotion. And it was because she was like, look, this is someone who is a great leader and she's doing awesome things and let's empower that and let's move that forward and let's lift her up. Um, so I would say, you know, big thank you to Elena because she, she was a real trailblazer for me and she continues to be a role model in my life. Love that. Awesome. Do the next. I, either way, Elizabeth, I can go sure. for it. Okay. Um, I am going to try to get through this without crying, but I cry at work all the time. And everybody that I know knows that. And I talk about it all the time because women I'm here talk for about it. We're here for it. Talk about it. Um, <laughs> so I had a couple people um, at, in a previous, previous life, Pam Bednar and Katie Kranz Victor talked me what it's like to be a woman in uh, marketing. And they were some of the brightest marketers that I've ever met, but they really championed. I was very young and it was how to, I was pregnant for the first time. Like, how do you start to find that balance? Um, and they were incredible women and, and, and minds that I got to work with. Um, Martha Galley, I cannot, she's our EVP of customer engagement and services at my current company. I really, she has done a lot for my career and just mentoring me and believing in me and make, letting me make the leap to my current role and building my current team. Um, Michael Weening, our CEO, also has been a huge mentor to me as well. Um, got through it without crying, you guys. Um, and, then, and then finally, uh, he's no longer at my current company, but Juan Vela was also another huge advocate for me and helping to guide and mentor me and an ally in speaking my mind as a woman. Uh, he had three daughters and was very big on champion women in, women in the workplace. And he made a huge impact in teaching me negotiation skills, presentation skills, um, and really giving me kind of that sideline knowledge that weren't, wasn't really available to me. So um, I've been very blessed. And now I have two more ladies on my list of people who can help influence me. So thank Aww. you. Yeah. Yay. Um, now you almost made me cry. So I know. Push it together. Sorry, right. guys. <laughs> uh, so I, it, it's well known that I am a the president and founding member of the Erica Cool and Holly Firestone uh, fan club. So if you'd like stickers or other merch, just contact me. Um, but I, I think there is really something to be said for when it comes to community, like building the confidence and in the knowledge and the things that I had done, like Erica and Holly were both huge champions for me to say, like, you know what you're doing, you know what you're talking about. And seeing them as experts in the space and feeling validated by that was probably one of the most meaningful things for me in deciding to like that. Yes, this is what I want to continue to pursue as my career. Cause I'm an old lady now and I probably won't have a chance to do another one. So let's just go for this for now. Um, but I also think um, outside of the community world, uh, I was part of a group, like I was saying, the women in wireless group and um, Dina Chaffetz, who is now one of my very good friends, but at the time she was a consultant for a mobile app agency. And she again was like, 
I don't think you realize the amazing things that you're doing. And so I think it's not just about having people who will champion you, but also stand there and point out like, hey, you're actually kind of fucking amazing. So you need to just like recognize that at least in this moment that you know your shit. Um, And so I will always be grateful for her for continuing to push me and be like, you could be doing more. You should be asking for more. Um, And then I think also, you know, someone at Slack who I have really just appreciated tremendously is Bear Douglas. Um, She's done a lot of fantastic things uh, for the DevRel team and for DevRel in a lot of different places, but also just seeing her kind of quiet power in these big rooms is is an amazing thing to behold and she's always been a really great champion of the programs that we've been running so can't can't not say how my love for mayor so um so i have to second your shout out for dina uh i'm so shocked to hear that you know her and we're influenced by her too she and i worked together at the very first agency that i worked no at way. Where was like wild intern just starting and she pulled me aside one day and was like, how much do you make? And I told her and she was like, you need to go tell our boss that he needs to double that right now. You don't make enough. That sounds exactly like Dina. <laughs> yeah. And yes. she was the first person that like really made me realize one that I was being taken advantage of, but really similar to what you said that I had value. So Dina, you are saving women all over the place. Thank you. I think we um, just may have founded the Dina Chaffetz fan club. So I was going to say, I think she gets this fan <laughs> club too. And you know, you, you mentioned Erica and Holly and they are amazing women. And I, uh, I, I'm really lucky to get to, to talk to Erica on a regular basis. And I'm a huge fan of them. And I think we are so lucky that we are working in an industry in tech that has so many amazing leaders. Um, I yeah. also think of like Shana Summers over at HubSpot mm-hmm. and what she's doing in the space. Tiffany Oda, I think she's a group identified, how she's really she's leading community apps. Yeah. Um, Rosie Sherry and, you know, being such a leader in the, the DevRel space. There are so many really amazing women in community. And I think it's one of the coolest things about working in communities. It's a really great entry point for women into tech because it is a really welcoming space. It is a space that's really focused on um, you know, equality and being, uh, welcoming to everyone. And there are so many awesome women leaders and yet within community, you can get really technical and it's a really good entry point into a lot of organizations. And it's a space where if you want to get into developer activities, if you want to get into products management and things, it's a good place to start and get your grounding and then, or, you know, build your career in community like we all have. Yeah. (laughs) So this was awesome. It was so lovely speaking with you both. Chris, thank you for bringing yes. us together. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, this is really great. And don't forget, the three of you are really great leaders in, in your space and community. And I, I agree. There's a lot of women uh, in the community space. And it's a great place, I think, think to start. So thank you so much for all of you coming to another Peers Over Beers. I'm Chris Detzel. And I'm Elizabeth Kinsey. Nicole Saunders. Allison Boudreaux. Thank you.